Hey everyone, uh, we experienced a major technical issue during the recording of the show, so that's why it's in two parts right now. I'm about to hit the play button and uh, give you the remainder of the show. I think we are missing about two minutes of it, uh, and I apologize for that, and I promise you this will never happen again. <laughs> and the other bad news as well is the audio quality is not going to be good for part two because it wasn't used with my actual podcast equipment. It was simply me talking into another device on Skype with Alan Charlie. So unfortunately, not going to be quite as good or even nearly as good, but I hope you guys stick it out. And again, I apologize. Here is the rest of the show. Is he going to be getting better back on track? Yes, he is. So Brazier kind of following the same suit. People are giving him, pra- uh, giving him crap. Brazier's given up one run in the last how many starts? Like, or, or games, rather. Excuse me, not starts. 15? Uh, something like that. It's stupid. It's dumb. Outside of two ugly performances, one against the Mets and one against the Yankees, I, I actually turned one of them off when he was pitching. I said, that I, just, I just can't do this. Brazier's just not getting it done. Since then, he's allowed, I think, one run. And that run might have, I, I don't remember if it was a home run. I think it was. Like, he just, he doesn't give up home runs. He's only given up one or two this season. Um, he's actually doing well. Brazier should be someone to potentially get looked at for hold closer duty on a nightly basis if they're up by one, up by two. You get him in there. Valdez in Phillips Valdez in there and Darwin's and Hernandez seven eight nine if we can get six innings out of a starter and you do that like every other game or every third game or two out of every three four whatever uh, you should be winning three out of five you should be able to especially with the offense that you're supposed to supposedly have which we're going to work on I think that's going to be something that gets addressed this offseason I think there's going to be a bunch of short-term uh, rentals, like, okay, cool, we're just here to try to figure out what we're going to do until the kids come up. You bring back Mitch Moreland, you bring back Kevin Pillar, and you get the boys back together again. The boys are back in Beantown. They're going to they're gonna do a song about it. Get Bronson Arroyo to sing the song. It'll be like old times, and, and we'll, we'll have probably not a, a fantastic year. We're not going to win 100 games next year, but I think by 2022 we'll be in much better shape. We're going to be one of those surprise comeback teams that after kind of one and a half crappy years, Red Sox could look scary. They're, they're shedding payroll. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like uh, J.D. Martinez moved and maybe you bring in a couple of younger guns. You see what the hall is on the return. But Phillips, Phillips Valdez and Ryan Brazier are two of the players that people need to keep their eye on. I, I'm so happy that Brazier didn't get traded. I'm so happy. Oh, my gosh. So happy. Yeah, and, I mean, I think he's definitely pitched his way into 2021 at this point based on what he's shown us. I might have some reservations, like, in big games, such as playoff games, but um, I, I guess that's a bridge that we'll uh, cross when we get there. Um, also, uh, Nathan Avoldi came back on the very first pitch of the game. He gave up a home run to Austin Barnes, 
and uh, not a good start, but he did settle in pretty well. Only gave up two more hits after that over three innings. Didn't walk anybody, struck out four. So was on a bit of a, you know, a, a pitch limit, apparently. And, um, but looked good. So uh, Matt Barnes got two saves on the series. So I guess we'll take it. You know, didn't didn't have a bad outing uh, against Tampa. Alex Verdugo quietly, you know, was four for thirteen. Um, you know, had a two hit game on Friday. Uh, going down the list here, Jackie Bradley uh, had hits in three out of four games. Was four for fourteen, not too bad. Bobby Dahlbeck. I uh, hit a home run in the first game. That was the end. Uh, that ended up being the last home run in his five-game streak. But uh, four for eleven, uh, not too bad there. He did strike out uh, six times in the series. So, you know, he's striking out, but he's still mashing. So I guess you're going to take that. And uh, Chavis did uh, hit three. Um, basically one hit in each of his three games. So had a bonehead move, though, on the bases where he, you know, lost and didn't tag up. So ended up being... Maybe he would have been driven in on the next at-bat. So, oh well, but... Those are the honorable mentions. Uh, any thoughts on any of them? It's nice to have a closer that actually can close a game. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I'll say this much. Uh, the, the thing that I found crazy were uh, the, the thing that I found the craziest about the series was the 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 pitchers that weren't doing great. Uh, some of them were trying to right the ship, kind of get back to normal. It was just a lot of surprises. Like, I mean, for me, I think the biggest surprise from this series wasn't Christian Arroyo because, like, we've known that he, he, he can hit the ball. Uh, he, seeing a home run in back-to-back games was also great. But the biggest surprise of this series for me was Mike Kickham. It's like the Daniel Bard. Like, the guy hasn't pitched in the bigs in years, and he comes out and, and spins a gem over four innings, giving up two runs on three hits, and both runs were solo bombs and strikes out eight? What? I mean, this was the surprise series. Tampa Bay is no joke. This is no, like, you know, puffer fish matchup. This is going to be, this This was supposed to be, like, blowout. I thought we were going to lose three out of four, and, and we actually managed to split the series against Tampa Bay? Like, this was a surprise series. I'll take this. There were plenty of surprises on this team. Kickham was the, was the top one for me. He was the easiest of, of the choices there. I mean, the eight strikeouts definitely stand out as far as, you know, his performance. So that that's going to – I'm going to be curious to see what else he can do. Um, he kind of reminds me with his long hair. I mean – not necessarily as far as stuff and style, but, you know, maybe Tim Lincecum type, you know. Yeah, kind of old Timmy Lince. Like. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. The issue with Tim Lincecum, which we already know, is the, the, the issue of health and longevity. 
the guy just couldn't stay healthy, and that was his big problem. And Lincecum, I remember he was betting on himself. He kept on wanting to do these these little silly one year deals. I was like, what is this guy doing? Sign your ten, you know, your ten year one hundred fifty. At the time, we thought it was a lot of money. You know, hundred fifty million dollar deal. Call it a night and be done with it. You know. And uh, he kept on betting on himself, and then the health kind of broke down around him, and he, he kind of lost that one. He shouldn't have done that, but it, it was what it was. Absolutely. Um, all right, so getting into the duds here. Uh, Al, who do you have? I hate to say this name because I've been an advocate for him all season, but J.D. Martinez, he just he's been struggling – one for 13 in this series with one RBI. He had a, a streak of five games where he went hitless. He's at 205 on the season now. It's not a good look for a guy that you paid a lot of money for back in 2018 to be your cleanup guy or three-hitter, however you want to use him. So, unfortunately, I have to say, J.D. Charlie's going to have some thoughts. Oh, either Terry's, like, watching me or he knows that I'm, I'm about to go off. Um, I, I just, this is what I don't get. I mean, you may have heard me say this. I don't know how many shows in a row you're getting paid $25 million a year. You're getting a dumb amount of money and you manage a single in 13 at bats. You're batting 077 for the series. With five punch outs, five strikeouts here, not punch outs, strikeouts, one RBI, one single. That's it? I mean, like, I feel like I paid, it's like paying $250 and having your buddies all pay $250. And at the end of it, you've all paid like $2,000 for this fight that lasts four seconds. You feel like you absolutely got mugged. Like, I don't know how many minutes of my life I've actually wasted watching this guy swing or not swing to try to make contact with the ball. Those are minutes, valuable minutes for somebody in my prime. I'm not going to get back. I've wasted that time. One for 13 is just, that's disgusting. That's, that's just, oh my God. My voice is like shot from like yelling or something. I don't know. And I, I just, oh God. It hurts to think about. Like, I get a migraine when I see him coming to the plate now. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Here comes a strikeout. And three times that I said that, I was right. I was three for nine when I said that. Three for nine. So I have a 33% chance of getting it right that he's going to strike out. I have a better chance of guessing that he's going to get a strikeout than this bum getting on base. I mean, come on. Please. Please. Yeah. I mean, we. this might not be the best comparison, but and it's been a while, but, I mean, there was a point, you know, and maybe a little over halfway through Big Poppy's career that we thought it might be done, you know? I mean, he had a couple of bad starts there, I think, in, in 2009, 2010, and he, he, he just, he looked bad, and, you know, so... I'd like to think, I mean, we're stuck with J.D. We, he's not opting out because, I mean, he would look like a huge liability to a four-year deal. No one's going to give him that. So the, the roughly $40 million he still has left on the books with the Red Sox, 
I mean, that's going to have to be good enough. But I just hope that he finds it. You know, if not this season, maybe next season. But he's completely lost in having him hit in the middle of the order. I mean, he's close to an automatic out, and especially with strikeouts. So it's painful. It's painful right now. And I, I hope for everyone's sake, because like I said, we're stuck with him. I hope we figure it out next year. Here's the thing that I don't like. Um, he goes 0 for 4 in the first series. He struck out three times. Uh, so, so that was the thing. I was right two of those times in that, in that game when I was guessing the 3 for 9. 2 for 4 in that. 2 for 4, I, I called it. Game 2, he does not play. So, all right, cool. You, you give him a day off. Let him clear his head. We're going to lose because uh, Blake Snell was pitching that game, and we had, I think, what, Triggs was the opener for that one. We were going to lose that game, and that was the game that, uh, you know, the, the, the bullpen kind of just, like, put on the suck, and we just blew it. Um, and then he comes back game three, follows up an 0-for-4 three-strikeout game with another 0-for-4 two-strikeout game. So through two games, you're 0-for-8 with five strikeouts. Silver lining in this is the last game of the series, he manages to actually get on base, and he doesn't strike out. Like, I have to now be happy that J.D. Martinez doesn't strike out for me to, like, be able to live with myself. Like, it's just, it's so bad. It's, oh, God, it, it really hurts. Like, you, you try to give a day off for a player that, to just clear their mind, to clear their mind. What's worse, J.D. Martinez getting $25 million here, or Gary Sanchez getting uh, a lot less in New York for doing just about the same thing. I think I think Sanchez is hitting below 200. JD's hitting just above it. They're both garbage. But I think JD is worse because he's actually getting over 20 million. It's just uh, I don't know how you can make a case for JD Martinez to stay in Boston wanting him to stay. The only person that wants J.D. Martinez to stay in Boston is J.D. Martinez because he knows that he's not going to get that contract anywhere else. And I was super happy when we got him the first time around, but Jesus, excuse me, that th this has been awful because if we have two more years of this, it's like two years of Chris Davis in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, Sanchez might never find it again. You know, I know I was talking about that with Big Poppy, but he's really only had one good season. And he's not even good enough defensively to justify a, a long-term contract as a catcher. He, he's just not a very good baseball player. And, you know, and you look at Garrett Cole's struggles, he finally had a good outing in his last start it was one of the seven inning double headers and he pitched the complete seven innings but i'm even wondering if maybe sanchez shouldn't be catching him you know maybe cole would be better off with another catcher i i don't know if they're having those conversations in new york amongst their fan base but i think with jd it's at least more likely than sanchez that that jd does figure it out right or or you know, be seventy five percent the hitter he used to be. So I mean, uh, it, it, it's it's a possibility. I just 
is it the fact that now teams aren't getting the the benefit of of that you know little information that they might have been getting and whatnot? Is that possibly <laughs> is that possibly what caused the major difference? Were were baseball players just lazy as hell, and did they need to rely on getting that extra boost to start hitting the ball? Because, like you mentioned, Terry, he's had like two. I'll give him two good seasons because his first year in 2016. He only played 50 games, and he had 20 homers. So that in itself is stupid. He played. He had 200 at-bats. He homered 20, 20 times. That's scary. The following year, I mean, scary Gary hits 33 homers. And then you see the batting average drop from 278 to 186. That is a major drop-off. The following year, he comes back up to 232, cranks 30 home runs again, still only plays 100 games, and we kind of realize, oh, wow, Scary Gary isn't that scary. He might just be uh, a home runner bust guy. And this year, he's just been a bust guy. I mean, literally just under half of his at-bats have been strikeouts. It's unbelievable how far he's fallen from grace. It's unbelievable. And you can almost, you know, connect it to Joe Girardi, departing you know maybe Girardi you know was on his ass you know a lot of the time and and Boone's a little more lax so you know you're not giving getting the same effort level or, or the same focus out of him you know so it's just a theory but um, it's a fair it's a fair theory though and I think and not sorry to cut you off but I also think Joe Girardi as a former catcher was able to offer some great insight that he hasn't had to have or hasn't received because Boone was never a catcher. And I always thought that catchers would make great coaches. Girardi proved me right. So. Yeah, they do. I mean, Mike Sosha, I, I didn't think he was great the last several years, but he did win a World Series, former catcher. Um, Mike Matheny got the Cardinals to the World Series, former catcher. Um, you know, and I, I'm sure there's other relevant examples, but. But maybe future Red Sox manager, uh, Jason Veritek, former catcher. So That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me say this. This will be the first time I put this out there. If we don't know who the manager is a month from now, what's today's date? Is it the 15th yet? It's the 13th. So if we don't, if we don't know who it is by, say, October 15th, Good chance it's going to be Matt Quatrero, who has been the guy I've been predicting all along. But if, for as long as the Rays are in the playoffs, they're not going to announce him as the manager. So the, the longer the Rays go and we're not making any announcements, I think he's the guy. I'll also say this, if you guys aren't going to agree, and that's fine. I'm starting to think there's a bigger and bigger chance every week that Renicky possibly comes back. Oh, I've been I saying just, this since the first a, week of the season. You can't can Renicky when you give him a bunch of like broken toys to play with to try to field the team in Major League Baseball. This is not Ron Renicky's fault that the Red Sox look at best like the Portland Sea Dogs. You have no starting rotation. Your hitting is atrocious. Your best hitter, for the lack of a better term, yes, J.D. Martinez, I'm talking to you, can't hit the freaking ball. So, 
you can't blame Renicky for this. And if they were to bring Renicky back and give him some tools to play with, I would applaud that because punishing Renicky for this season would be beyond unfair and I would lose respect. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I can say is maybe it was made clear to him that this was only a one-year deal and that's all that it would be to begin with, you know, you know, from last March forward, whenever they announced him as the manager, um, you know, if, if they didn't tell him that it was a one-year deal, it, it would seem a little bit cold that, yeah, we're, we know you did the best you could with what you had, but we're not bringing you back. So, so we'll see, you know, but I just think, I started to feel this way when, and I, I don't want to get too political on here, but when the Kenosha riot started and then, you know, teams were voting not to play on a given night and Renicky just seemed to really kind of step into the spotlight, even if, even if it was, you know, not what he was planning, but, you know, his comments on the incident you know, the player's right to protest and, you know, his thoughts on, you know, what's going on right now as far as that type of activism really seemed to move a lot of people and win people over. So um, I, it was basically at that point, I'm like, geez, you know, he's he's getting to be really likable and maybe maybe there's a comfort level that the Red Sox have with him that they'll possibly bring him back see the thing with keeping a manager and firing a manager is general managers only do it when their own seat starts to get hot so when when it's gotten to the point where the manager has taken all the heat he can possibly take from the fans from the media and you know maybe other writers once he's taken all that the general manager seat starts to get hot and that's the point where he needs to do something. That's why I don't think I don't think Dombrowski fired Farrell in after 2016 like he should have because he liked the fact that Farrell was the guy taking the bullets. And then after 2017, it just got to the point where he couldn't anymore, you know. And he just he had to move on because he was going to start Dombrowski would start getting held accountable if if he didn't move on from Farrell. So. I think that's what happened, and I don't think Bloom is even close to that point yet with Renicky. So he doesn't have to burn that get out of jail free card by, you know, bringing in someone new. So we'll see. the The guys on the other show, Andrew and Jason, uh, disagree with me wholeheartedly. They think there's almost no chance he's coming back, and that's their opinion, and that's fine. And, and maybe they they're right. I I don't know, but. It's a tough situation to read because that's the one aspect of every front office that they're never going to be transparent about. They're never going to talk about whether the manager's job is safe or not because it's it's a slippery slope to to begin with. So I'll but. say this much. I'll say this much. If if Ron Renicky was a prospect in the farm system, I would put all of my chips in Jason's basket. Yes, Jason, I'm talking to you. If this was a Red Sox player getting traded to another team, I would then again put my chips in Jason's basket wholeheartedly. Yes, Jason, I'm talking to you. But in this situation, given what we know, uh, 
you you can't do that. You cannot blame. You can't make Ron Renicky the scapegoat for this situation. You just can't do it. So I feel that if he were to say, you know what, I don't want to come back, that's one thing. But if he says, I want to come back and I want to give this this a chance, I want to give this a real shot. You owe it to him as as a club to give him the benefit of the doubt because you put him in this absolute crapshoot of a situation not his fault not his fault and you then you start taking away his toys no one likes when their toys get taken away doesn't matter if you're six or 60 so you you got to give him a chance he, he's going to come back he's going to be a bench coach plain and simple that, that that's all i'm going to say he's going to be a bench coach you know I, i'm going to you know al this didn't work out the first time for you maybe maybe the second one is this going to be potentially what we negotiate for the second bottle of wine no be, no because i don't need to be spending more money on your you know my wine habits yeah <laughs> yeah they, yeah there you go we'll, we'll put it nicely and say that there you go well we'll, we'll see what happens i still think it's going to be quatrero and I, I don't know if renicky does fit in as the bench coach uh there but um but we'll see that was a nice little off-topic freestyle. But anyway, Charlie, who's your dud for the series? Oh, I would hate to deny anyone the pleasure of not getting to listen to who I absolutely loathed in this series. <laughs> and if anybody who knows me and has heard me listen and complain about one particular player, they know it's either J.D. Martinez, who's already been mentioned. So that leaves me with my absolute bust of the series, my bots, Matt Hall who has now allowed three or more runs for the fourth straight mother beeping time this year. You know that as soon as Matt Hall gets put into a game, you know, all right, guys, we just, we just want to see how many runs they can score because he's that bad. The only good thing that happened about Matt Hall was that his ERA went down from 19.89 to 18.69. And the only reason it went down was because he allowed only four runs in two and a third innings. His ERA went down point, let me see, 1.2. That's embarrassing. Four runs on six hits, two and a third, a home run, two walks, two strikeouts. I can't even celebrate the fact that your K-9 is above 9.0 because you've allowed more than two damn runs per inning. You're garbage. I don't know what you're doing. I, 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 oh, God. Matt Hall, you make me want to become the official sponsor for Excedrin. Because as soon as you enter the game, when I see number 56, the only thing going through my mind is, damn it, why? Unless the game is already lost. Because that's the only reason why they put you in the game. That sucks. And they put you in a situation where it was the second inning. You blew the game in the second inning. And you didn't start, you know, you didn't stop sucking until they put you, they pulled you out. The best part of the game is when you don't play. The worst part of the game is when you get put in the game. I'm done bitching and complaining now. <laughs> Go ahead, Al. <laughs> I'm trying to recover from that first. Um, yeah, Matt Hall just stinks. I mean, there's not much more you can say. And I mean, we were joking saying that he's a Hall pass. But really, we just want to pass him off to the next team because he's just brutal to watch. Absolutely brutal. Matt Hall couldn't survive in a double-A game. It's, he's that bad. I, I, don't, I just don't get it. 
I don't understand it. And like, I'm all for giving people chances and giving people a little bit of rope. But I gave this kid, I don't know how many feet of rope. He's not even a kid anymore. He's 27. Get your shit together. Honest to God. I gave this guy, I don't know how many feet of rope, and he literally took all of it and hung me with it. That's how bad this guy is. Like, he sucked when he was in Detroit for his first year. He did better in his second year. He still sucked. He still sucked. The guy's never won a game in Major League Baseball. Every single game he's played, minus one, because he's played in four games, he's lost. He's lost every single game, minus one, that he's played in. So you know, if he comes in, <laughs> I know he's taking the L, baby. It's going to be Maddie Halls. It's just, it, it's that bad. Hall pass isn't even fair because at least Hall pass, you're getting something good out of it. We know we're getting nothing out of this. I uh, tweeted out once he got put on the mound, and I couldn't figure out why Triggs only had one inning, but, you know, that's all they they left him out there for. And then they bring Hall out for the second inning, and I said, uh, Matt Hall, this is my tweet, Matt Hall is on the mound for the Red Sox, and you're all about to watch a metaphorical murder. And, oh, yeah, uh, I saw that tweet. <laughs> and it basically happened. Um, He's like your designated loss. Like, if you're hoping for draft picks, he's the guy you send out there to ensure the loss. That way, you know, you end up being one of the worst teams, you know, in the league. And and it was over after he went out there. And we ended up losing that game 11-1. to So, um, not a good performance. And... I hope we don't see him. I mean, when we're trotting out guys like Kickham and now that Evoldi's back and you got some decent enough pitching in your bullpen, I don't see why we have to suffer through watching Matt Hall just get shelled. It's just I mean, because we're Boston so fans. Because we're Boston yeah. fans and we like to suffer. Yeah, I know. Seriously. I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at suffering. 2020 has been fantastic so far for me. Matt Hall, watching him pitch is like watching someone play Russian roulette with a fully loaded weapon and thinking, yeah, there's a chance I can get out of this. No, sorry. There's no, no. Designated loss, Terry, that is so perfectly and eloquently put. I know now that if the Red Sox decide that it is a smart decision as I grip my teeth to say this, to put Matt Hall in the game, you might as well turn it off or watch fishing or anything else that's on TV. Put on Frozen, for God's sakes. That would be more enjoyable than watching Matt Hall pitch. It's that bad. I would rather watch a Disney movie. Yeah. Well, which Disney movie? Frozen. Because my heart is so cold. Let it go. Yeah, Matt Hall lets it go over the fence twice a game. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, oh, God. Like, oh, my God. It, I don't even know what I would do. If he met me, he'd probably throw a punch, and he'd miss. He, he, I, I just, oh, God. I, I, oh, can we, who's, who's the next dud? I, I'm going to get angry. True story. Just yesterday, my girlfriend's like, she's on vacation, so, she, you know, she's been home quite a bit. And, uh. She's like, can we watch 101 Dalmatians? And I got excited. I'm like, yeah. And she goes, oh, it's not the cartoon, though. It's 
you know, it's the movie. And and then I was like severely disappointed. I didn't even want to watch the uh, the Jeff Daniels uh, version. So anyway, yeah, Lion King though was like the biggest best Disney movie in, in my opinion. It was kind of like at the end of my prime, but you know the soundtrack was so good, and I don't know. Either that or Toy Story. Toy Story was that for me. Oh, Toy Story and dude, Toy Story and 101 Dalmatians actually strike me as the two movies that Matt Hall reminds me of. I'm, I'm going back to Matt <laughs> Hall because I'm just going to burn this man into the ground. When I think of 101 Dalmatians, I think of 101, and that's probably going to be the same number of runs he allows by the end of this season because he's that bad. Toy Story reminds me of Matt Hall because, you know, sometimes, you know, there's the there's the home for like the misfit toys and the broken toys. That's Matt Hall. I don't really know where he belongs. I don't know if he belongs in the island of misfit toys or the broken toys. He doesn't belong in the toys that you want to play with because he's just been used and abused. And hey, he hey, 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 you put some respect on Toy Story. It's a generational classic. Which one? There's been like eight. It's like the Land Before Time. Which one was your favorite? I'm a huge fan of. I'm a huge fan of Land Before Time. Forty six. All of them. They're all excellent. I feel bad, Terry. I I hijacked this. This this turned into the hate Matt Hall show. Who's your dud, sir? My dud is Marcus Walden, who gave up the go ahead run on Saturday's game. We were tied four to four, I think, in the eighth inning and. Uh, or maybe it was the ninth. Either way, it was late, and uh, yeah, he gave up a dinger. And he's just a guy that I kind of hope doesn't come back. Um, you know, I mean, we said that about Brazier, and they s- seem to have fixed him. But but in three of his last five starts, or starts three out of his last five bullpen appearances, he's ended up giving up runs. Five starts ago, he gave up three earned runs. His next uh, appearance after that, I keep saying starts, his next appearance after that, he came in with runners on, ended up giving up three runs. The bases were loaded. Um, And then he had two scoreless outings until, you know, the Saturday one. So he's just a guy that's not reliable. If he comes in in a high leverage situation, it's probably not going to go well. And... I'm just tired of it. And I did speak on a recent podcast about how he was good in in spurts last year and kind of looked like he had potential. But whatever that was is just completely in the toilet as far as 2020 goes. Was that small state big takes? No, no. I just met a recent show that we did. Uh, I haven't been on those guys in a while. I think you were on the last show I was on. I was, I was. They just had their hundredth episode, actually. So, congrats to them. Yeah, they tried to get me to go on. Actually, uh, they sent me a DM, but I, I was already asleep. Oh but, wow! Yeah, and Josh, I just found out, refriended me. By the way, <laughs> unfollowed me and then followed me back. So, oh jeez. Oliver did that too. Unfollowed me for a while and then followed me back. They they always come back. They're solid dudes. I have nothing but good things to say about them. There you go. Charlie, uh, any thoughts on uh, Marcus Walden? No, here, here's the thing. I mean, I, I feel like I, you know, and this is this is all love. I, I, I've, I've bagged on the relievers enough. Um, 
Walden's had his fair share of, of bad appearances. He got rocked in the Toronto game, and that was unfortunate because you know he, he gave up runs that weren't that weren't counted against him. He's also had really bad games against Tampa Bay. Like his really bad game this season was against Tampa Bay. Outside of that, he's had one really crappy appearance. He's done fine. Other than that, in my book, in relation to how this season has gone. He was the guy that gave up the six runs on five hits without getting, a, without getting an out. And his ERA ballooned to, like, over 12. Like, I remember that, and I was like, what, what am I watching? What's happening right now? And he's been able to bring it down. It'll, it, he'll, he will get better. I, I can't say anything bad about him because no pitcher has a stellar, you know, season where they don't have one blemish. He's had one blemish and a couple of oopsies. It's not like Matt Hall, who has an oopsie every appearance. You know, so I, I can't I can't down Matt Walden. He just so happened to be the guy that gave up the go ahead run. That's it. You know, I, I want to be I want to be fair to him. Well, fair enough. I, I just I'm rooting for him. Uh, you know, I, I don't hate the guy, but, uh, you know, it's just it's really frustrating to see this type of uh, regression. But uh, Al, any thoughts on Walden? Uh, no, I mean, Charlie pretty much has taken every take that I've wanted to say tonight, so he continues to trend, <laughs> but, you know, he just, Walden's had his good appearances, he's had his bad appearances, it sucks that he had to give up a go-ahead run, but it is what it is, and it's unfortunate that we've had to say he's been one of our better relievers. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, like like we said, he, he gets it together. Um, all right, so... Let's talk about Tanner Houck, and we can kind of merge this in with the uh, series preview against Miami, which is in Miami, interestingly, because that, that's been a hotbed for the, you know, the COVID-19 virus. But, um, and I, I'd like to say it's also impressive that no Red Sox players or personnel have tested positive during the season. They had some, you know, positives when they did the intake at the start of spring training uh, 2.0, but nothing during the season. So, um, I mean, I consider it, if it happens in the last couple of weeks, I still consider that to be a, you know, a big win. But, uh, but anyway, Tanner Houck, uh, one of our top pitching prospects, will be starting the uh, Miami series on Tuesday. Now, the thing I... That's fun about that is you, you finally get to see him against a major league lineup. And the Marlins are 23 and 21, so they're not the crappy Marlins anymore. You know, they're starting to, you know, show some signs of life. So it's going to be a very formidable, you know, appearance for, for um, Inner Hulk. So the thing that I'm just going to say right out of the gates, if this is going to start his service time, and, you know, the arbitration clock and, and whatnot, I hate to be wasting that because we're going to lose a year right off the top. Now, maybe maybe because it's September, maybe it doesn't count. I'm not great with, the you know, the intricacies of, of how that all works, but I just, I'd rather save him till the third week of April when you, you could gain a year. Of his service time, so so hopefully that's not the case. But 
Um, I mean, it, it's just, it's, I get the thinking, I really do, but this is the perfect time to see him, even if it does take up a year of service time, because then if you realize he's bad, like a lot of these Red Sox pitchers have been, then you can start thinking about if you want him to be a real piece for your long-term plan to get back in contention, as opposed to waiting until April, having him start potentially if you need him to, and then you're like, oh gosh, we're stuck with this guy unless we trade him or whatever. You might as well try to find out now as opposed to later. I don't know. That's just me. Carly? I'm still not sure 100% uh, of, of what the, the clock is going to look like for Hauk. Uh, I, I, I'm a little bit confused on a couple things. Is it going to count as a full season? Is it not going to count? Is it going to be in a, because this was an abridged season? Is everything going to be kind of tailored back a little bit? Because similar to what you said, it, it would suck if this counted as a full year. Because if certain things like that are going to count as a full year, then the season that we are going through and experiencing right now should count as the only numbers towards the draft for 2021. Because if we're going to be doing this like BS combining years of, of, of work for, or, or records rather, to see who gets the top pick in 2021, then this shouldn't count as a full season as much as that sucks for the young for the young kid. But, I mean, the Red Sox would get hosed on both ends of that. Not only did they just have a crap season, but we're not going to have a chance of getting a, a really good top pick. Um, I, I'm just confused. If it ends up being a situation where it does, like you mentioned, Terry, chew up a year, I'm kind of annoyed by it. But, I mean, what else do we have? We, we don't have any other, you know, back to the Toy Story reference, what other toys do we have to play with? You know, yeah, I mentioned Pavetta would eat up some starts, but um, yeah, here's here's a a comparable scenario. We called up Mookie Betts during the summer of 2014. Had we not done that and then waited until three weeks into the 2015 season, he wouldn't have been a free agent until 2022. So, coming into this season, we would have had him for all of 2020, 2021, and I think through 2022. So, we really screwed ourselves. But, on the flip side, I mean, nobody knew he was going to be a generational talent. And he came up because we were struggling in center field all that year. Bradley just couldn't hit at the major league level. Ellsbury was gone. That was the first season without him. And they sent coaches up to AA Portland to basically convert him into a center fielder. And he did like two more weeks in Portland playing center field and then a week or two in Pawtucket. And then he was called up. He was with the big club in 2014. And I remember when he had his first home run, it like, Nobody was in the stands because we were in last place, and I think we were getting killed that night. And they pointed out his parents, and they got the ball for him because, you know, they like to keep the, their first home run ball. And I just thought, okay, well, cool. Hopefully he hits a couple more, <laughs> you know. I didn't think he was going to explode the way that he did, and that didn't really start to happen until 2016. But, but still, I mean we really kind of, you know, screwed ourselves by, by calling him up so early. So I just, 
I hate to see history kind of repeat itself. And and that being said, you know, he has looked good at the alternate alternate site. His slider, Tanner Houck's slider, is said to be almost unhittable. So I guess we'll see. We'll see. As, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Donald Trump's, and I hate this man with a passion, his son's girlfriend, whatever, where she screams, The best is yet to come! Can't stand her, but, the, you know, Twitter memorialized, like, that moment and probably will never let it go. Um, I forget her name. I, 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 Ivanka? No, it wasn't Ivanka. It was, um, Chris, it was a Kristen... Oh, I can't think of her name. Huh. Kimberly Guilfoyle. That's her name. She's okay. a psych. She's a psycho nut. If you guys have time, listen to her speech. She's like screaming at an empty audience. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, uh, who knows what's going to happen with Hauk? Because here's the thing: comparing somebody that we don't know with Mookie Betts, what are the odds that the Red Sox actually hit gold with both? I mean, Mookie Betts was just a generational, one-of-a-kind type talent that no one thought in a million years he was going to do what he, be, like, what he ended up doing. You know, what I, when I look at Mookie Betts, I kind of think of, like, Christian Yelich in Miami. This was someone who was decent, but wasn't crazy, crazy good until his last year in, in uh, Miami. And then he goes to Milwaukee and then is just... Uh, MVP Christian Yelich and Miami must be shooting themselves in the foot. I don't know why the Red Sox didn't try to didn't try to get him. I mean, that would have been an amazing piece. Christian Yelich. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. I'm angry now again. I'm angry. I'm actually upset. Damn it. I don't think anybody foresaw that either. Yeah. Two two guys that just kind of exploded. Yep. But, uh, well, let's let's wrap this up before Charlie gets and has an aneurysm live on the air. Oh, sound we're done talking about Matt Hall. We're done talking about Matt Hall. I don't know, man. You still sound like you need to like go to bed or something because you are on another level tonight. Yeah, man. All right. Um, so let's see how it goes Tuesday. This is a three-game set. So we got a TBD on Wednesday. So that could be. Another Kickham start. It could be a Colton Brewer start, um, something along those lines, and and then we got a Valdi going on Thursday. That's a one ten game because it's it's getaway day. Uh, so we don't have any of their uh, starting pitchers, at least that I'm showing. But we know that Hout goes on Tuesday, PBD on Wednesday, and Evoldi on. Uh, Thursday. I wonder if Ivaldi's going to actually be able to like stretch his legs in that game because you know, n- not to make a, a joke about the injury, but um, he didn't go that long in his last start, and I think that was just uh, uh, Renicky's way of of kind of just like breaking him in and seeing what he could do and uh, just checking his level of comfort because the last thing you want is Ivaldi then going down for the count. That would just be terrible. Um, but I mean. This season's been an absolute nightmare. So what else could possibly go wrong? If uh, if somebody says nothing, I'd say, oh, no, no, you haven't been paying attention then. Um, what do you guys think? Of these games that are coming up, how many of these do you think we win and how many do you think we lose? 
How many games do they have left? Oh, no, no. I mean, just in this series coming up. Just the series. Three games. I say they lose two out of three. I've been saying two out of three or three out of four each series. Terry, what do you think? I got a good feeling about Hauk coming up. I just think he's, based on what we've been hearing from the beat writers, just seems to be in a good groove. I know Tristan Casas has crushed him a couple of times, but I mean, he's seeing so much of Hauk that that type of thing's going to happen. Um, so I don't know. I, th- I think Hauk could win, and I'm not overly pessimistic about Evoldi. The only thing is, is if game two, the middle game, is a complete bullpen game, what's going to be left if Evaldi only goes four or five innings? You know, how many fresh arms are we going to have? So, but I'll still say Red Sox take two out of three. I'm, you know, I've been, you know, Mr. Pessimist for, for quite a bit. And I actually think Red Sox could actually win this series. It's it, Miami's not a great team this year. Uh, I don't think we're going to win the following series. Uh, Baltimore series, I uh, I don't know about that one. I think we probably figure out a. W- you know what? Bold prediction: Red Sox win in the Miami series two out of three. Baltimore two out of three, and then we lose a minimum of two out of three against the Braves and the Yankees each. I say we split the season. Um, as far as wins and losses for total series, I say the Red Sox will win two out of three in Miami. I think we win. I'm, I'm going to go with Terry. I'll back him up. Uh, how gets the win? Ivaldi gets the win. Whoever pitches game two, probably Matt Hall loses. <laughs> if Brennicky decides it's a designated loss, yeah, probably. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to see. Uh, any uh, final thoughts? It's almost over. It's almost <laughs> over. But then the fight playoffs start. Yeah. It's, Al, it's where a, have you been, dude? It's a, it's just... You want, you want to know where I've been? I've been watching good teams. The Patriots and the Celtics. I've been watching good teams compete. And I've been trying to keep up with the Red Sox as much as I can. I do watch them a good amount, but still, it's painful to watch. It's nice to have other good sports teams to watch. Yeah, I, so it was uh, hard watching the Bruins if we're talking about Boston sports. The Celtics actually really frustrated me. Uh, I felt like that series should have been over in like five, maybe six games at the worst. There's no reason that thing should have gone seven. There's wait, just wait. none. We can talk about that on a whole other day, Charlie. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, I'm curious to see. I think my final thoughts, um, Hall is a bum. Uh, I'm curious to see about Hauk. And you heard it here first. Red Sox win two out of three in that series and two out of three in the, um, oh gosh, what series? Baltimore series. All right. Well, that's the Yankees crushed them this weekend, so we'll see what they've got left by the time we play them. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Davy Garcia could look good, so I'm kind of hoping Hauk, uh looks good to uh, 
you know, kind of show the Yankees, hey, we got young pitching too. So, yeah. Well, all right, guys. Uh, good show. And uh, we'll be back uh, soon to discuss another series. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for having us. Have a good night, guys.